I'm Matthew McCabe. Welcome to Miracle Voices. Each episode, we will be delving into stories of forgiveness, healing, and transformation that have come about from integrating the principles of the book, A Course in Miracles. If you want to learn more about A Course in Miracles, visit www.acim.org. If you'd like to visit the Miracle Voices site, please go to www.miraclevoices.org. If you feel inspired to make a love offering, please visit us at miraclevoices.org forward slash donate. All donations go to support the work of the Foundation for Inner Peace, the publisher of A Course in Miracles. Now here's your program. Miracle Voices listeners, please enjoy part two of this episode with Tam Morgan discussing Judy's final days. Her last words to me, um, her last words were to my son, but her last words to me was she said, Honey, I could not want for anything. You've given me everything I could ever want and more. I've never felt so fully loved. And I feel finally completely loved by me too, for myself. And what I didn't say, I'll go back a little bit earlier was one of the things she was grappling with was this self-love. And I came in one evening and she was sitting in a chair and she was, she just had tears. She was, tears were streaming from her eyes. She wasn't crying out loud. She just had tears. And I said, what's going on? And she said, I'm afraid I'm not going to do that, which I came here to do. And I'm not going to complete my coursework. And I said, well, you know, what are you talking about? You've like, changed the lives of over 3 million people on this planet, you know, at least, if not more than that, in certain ways, you know, as well. And everyone you touch, I mean, because you touch people who aren't course students, um, feel so loved by you. What is it you're struggling with? And she said, I just don't know that I'm finished with loving myself enough. And, um, and I, you know, I, I may have to, if there's reincarnation, I just have to come back. And I said, well, that's great. Good. You can come back and you can be, you know, my son's child and I'll, you know, we'll hand the foundation back to you. And we would joke about that, (laughs) but this was a woman in deep distress and depression that, she wasn't getting it right. She wasn't doing her last piece of work that her husband and I had talked about, I mean, what my stepfather uh, talked about that she needed this time to do the work on herself, to not just work for everyone else. And wit would have been in the way of her doing that. She would have been taking care of him to the end. And here she was left with herself, not by herself, but really with herself. And we do all hear that that last process you do, do by yourself. You go that alone. And I found this incredibly poignant poem. Um, I'll have to look up and give to you later. Um, but was that um, the death is, is basically a sad, you know, Old age is a sad and lonely dance. And there was stuff that she embraced in that in the end to not avoid it. It's not bad. She would say to me, I'm sad about things. Don't take it away from me. Let me just look at it, you know, because I would immediately feel like, how do I help? 
Um, she really was doing work on such a deep, deep level. And it wasn't um, just, this isn't real. Now her, with her body, she was, you know, fear, I am at home, fear is a stranger here. She would repeat that over and over and over again with her pain um, for the suffering part. But she really was also integrating um, her practice within this world and not mixing levels, which she used to say all the time, don't mix levels. She was in this level, transcending this level. And it was just an extraordinary thing to witness. So when we got to those, to that last day, and she was not only saying it in words to me, but I could palpably feel that she was exuding this love and peace like I'd never felt from her before um, was so strong that I could partner with that and not partner with the pain. It was such a gift for me to get to ride that. And she, so her, her last words to me were about how incredibly loved she felt and how she felt it for herself. And then how she it wasn't a feeling of it. She just was it. And she looked at me straight in the eyes and her last words with phenomenal joy to me as I held her hand, she looked at me and she said, and it's like she transmitted it from her being into mine. She said, I am so lucky. And I could feel it. the gratitude was so huge. And then my son was snuggled up with her and she fell asleep. She woke up again. She looked around and she even looked at my son and she said, where did grandma go? With a smile and a giggle. And it was like her last favorite role. And it was her favorite role on this planet. Um, was even that was gone. Grandma went to, and those were her actual last words. Um, but then my son left, there was still a process going on. And um, my son stayed through his birthday and then he went home and um, my stepsister came up and my stepsister is perfect relationship of my mother's world. My mother's first husband, Howard, who was my biological father, my mother's first husband's second wife after he divorced my mother, um, his second wife, Marge, had two children from a previous marriage. And Terry and John were two of these children, were the two children. And Terry had been very, very close to my mother all these years because she lived in California because she grew up with me. She got assimilated in the family. And my mother had asked her to be one of the first board members of the Foundation for Inner Peace because she always called Terry, who's a psychologist and extremely grounded um, and not a core student, fair witness. She could always rely on Terry for a really grounded perspective. So Terry came up and she was with me and in the world of drama, she came up and she said, I'm not leaving you. We, she and I went through my dad's passing and her mom's passing together. And 
She said, I'm not leaving you. And just as she said that, her phone rings and her husband was going into the ER because he was having heart issues. And she just, she said, I'm not going back down to San Jose, which was an hour and a half away. She said, I'm not leaving because they won't let me, it's COVID. They won't let me go into the hospital with him. So I'll just be home waiting for calls. I'm staying here. So Terry and I, there was a whole nother piece of this, but this could get really long of the people who visited in these, this time. I will only say that there was one person who my mother thoroughly enjoyed and even through COVID allowed to come over because she would have conversations with him. And my mother was very, very, my my mother had broken her ankle and leg at one point, um, a couple of years earlier. And she came out and she said, that came out of her room for breakfast. And she said to me, you know, I've decided last night, I'm, I'm going to be up in the middle of the night much more because I'll be in pain. There's something I want to master before I go. And I said, oh, okay, well, that'd be, you know, an 89-year-old woman wanting to master something most people might think of stereotypically knitting, um, sewing something. Uh, my, I said, mom, what do you want to master? And she said, um, quantum physics. And I, I said, really? And she said, yeah. I said, why? And she said, because I feel that there's finally language that they didn't used to have, which is where all my research and consciousness was originally. Um, uh, it brings together my spiritual with the um, with the scientific and the language is there for it now. And I'm really fascinated in it. So she would have these Saturday and Sunday meetings, Saturday or Sunday meetings with someone named Bill Melton. And Bill Melton was a man who I met, who I introduced to my mother and my stepfather at the very end of my stepfather Witt's life, who was actually there when, when Witt was dying. And it was their second meeting and uh, Witt went off to the hospital and passed away. And my mother ended up befriending Bill, who would talk with her, who was the last podcast that was, that was played. Um, she had these fascinating conversations with him in all realms. And she loved that. So here it was 10 o'clock at night and um, 1030 at night, actually. And the caregiver said something funny to me because she wasn't usually that sensitive. But she suddenly said, I and my my mother's healing relationship with therapy and everything else had shifted all of her relationships with caregivers, with me, like an incredible difference in partnering, um, huge amount of love and people caring for her. It wasn't a job for them. It was a relationship experience for them uh, with her. And, um, and so this caregiver said, I think your mom's waiting for someone. And she hadn't talked in a couple of hours at that point. And I suddenly got a flash of um, Bill Melton. And I said, mom, because we always used to dress her up for, for Bill. And it was a funny joking, you know, that was her, her date was with Bill Melton. And I said, mom, are you waiting for Bill Melton? And her eyebrows raised up. And it was the first time she had done that. So I, I laughed. And just as this happened, 
I got a text from Bill and he said, I'm, I'm feeling you guys. And he said, I said, what was going on? And he said, do you want me to come over? And I said, not particularly, but I think she does. So he got in the car and he was there within 30 minutes and she, he came and we put lipstick on her before he came and <laughs> dressed her up a little. It was very funny. And then he came in and he, the moment he held her hand, her eyebrows went up again. And it was very, very funny. And he was there for an hour and caring and loving her. And then he left. And then, and we all sang to my mother, the song that was a song that was the first song that she had ever sang to me that I remembered, which she was, she would hold me up in the air and fly me around the room, whether it's the, I remember it being in the kitchen and she would sing with Frank Sinatra, fly me to the moon. So I started to sing that. And, and the people who were there, the caregiver, my stepsister, my son, a friend, uh, people who were there saying this joyously to her and me thinking, yeah, you didn't have to exercise. You're just going to fly to the moon. This is great. And it was very, very joyous. And then um, everyone left except for my um, sister, myself and the caregiver. And what happened next was this incredible passage. My mother had written me what she wanted played during her death and, you know, during her memorial set session. And I couldn't find that at that point. So it became much more interpersonal and this song came through and I am not a good singer, really do not have a great singing voice. And this song came through and it, it made me laugh because it was Karen Carpenter's Close to You. And I used to make fun of my mother as when I was a teenager because she loved the song and I was more Grateful Dead hippie girl. And Karen Carpenter was too, as we called it, schmaltzy, overdone, extra sweet. But she did love the song. And the song came through me. And I am hardly ever remember lyrics really bad with them. And I, it wasn't me, Matt. It was, I, I, the only time I've ever experienced it, it was like an angel came into my being and with all the love in the universe started to sing the song. And I never really listened to the words, except that I was a witness hearing my supposed self singing this going, oh my God, this is gorgeous. And it was, you know, on the day that you were born, the angels got together and decided to create a dream come true. Um, and they sprinkled stardust in your pair. I don't, can't even remember it right now. And mooned us and whatever and created you, something like that. But that night I knew all the words. Um, and that's why all the boys in town follow you all around. Just like me, they long to be close to you. And I was this voice was coming out of me that was so sweet as I was hugging her and kissing her and massaging her and caressing her hair. And it was pure love. And, you know, tears were just streaming out of my eyes of what is this? Oh my gosh. And so there was that moment that was just pure blissful love between us 
and all of you know my sister too in the room and she was down by my mother's feet holding them and I was up uh, in bed with her by her her head and then time went on although it was a real coarse moment where time was condensed because the morphine was administered hourly and my sister and I thought five minutes had gone by so we literally had to keep checking the clock because we didn't know you know if if the caregiver was killing her, uh, we were joking about it, but, but, you know, it, it was moving so fast in such a short period of time, but it was hours. And the next song that came through and I was not thinking what song do I want to sing? My mother, a song came through and my, my mind said, I don't want to sing that song to my mother as she's dying. And I couldn't stop it. It came through my soul. And it was if I had a hammer. And if I had a hammer, I'd hammer in the morning, I'd hammer in the evening, I'd hammer, you know, all over, though I'd hammer between love between my my brothers and my sisters all over this world. And if I had a bell to ring and a song to sing, you know, I'd hammer, I'd sing it in the morning, all of this started coming through. And my sister looked at me like, what are you singing that for? And I literally shrugged, like, I don't know, but it was coming through. And it wasn't until a couple of days later, right before a staff meeting, where I suddenly realized, oh, that was my mother's work ethic. It like came her work ethic. She worked till the day she died. That same morning, she was still doing work and it was her work ethic song. And it made so much sense if anyone wanted to bring that song up and hear it. Um, it it would just needed to come out and be released as my mother was being released. And so there was that song. And then later, her breathing really started to shift and it was like, being with her, cheering her on as she basically drowned because the fluids come in. Um, and that's what kind of happens. It uh, doesn't sound good, but didn't matter. Again, none, none of that part mattered. There was so much love and beauty of all of it and between it. And then we suddenly sang her favorite Jewish prayer, which was the Shehechianu. And the Shehechiano is thanking God for bringing us to this moment in time together in observance and to bringing us to the present. And it was one of my mom's favorite prayers, Jewish prayers. And we sang it at every holiday um, and any opportunity that we could, we would sing the song in our family and a tribute to my grandfather as well. He loved this prayer. And, uh, and so we sang that. And at the very last word of that, her heart stopped. And um, I mean, her breathing stopped, excuse me. Her breathing stopped at the very last word of that. And then a moment passed and we ended up singing the holiest of Hebrew prayers, which was the Shema Yisrael. Um, And the last word of that, her pulse stopped. And there was just silence. And I asked for the time and it was exactly 4 a.m. 
So my mother died on the exact moment that she had received my son 24 years earlier. And it was as if for me in it, she completely wove together the circle and cycle of birth and death and this level of passage. The contractions came out the other way. But my, as I say, I've seen a lot of people uh, I've held a lot of people as they've passaged through. And I saw like my grandmother's spirit come rise up and come up and actually come out of her mouth and up partly through me as I was holding her head as she, as I saw this leaving. My mother didn't do that. She, it was like she literally evanesced through every pore she had, like this peace and love spread out and was in everything. And everything was shimmering unbelievably. And it was extraordinary because she, anything I saw that had peace and love in it was her. And so there wasn't an ability even to mourn or cry and go, oh my God, you left. It was, there was such joy and such holiness and gratitude to get to be partnering with her in that. And I knew she wanted her body. Um, she, she wanted me to be with her body before it was immediately taken off. And so I was, and uh, when the person came to take her body, even that was amazing because a different caregiver came and the caregiver who adored my mother said, do you mind if we sprinkle water? on the way out um, when she's in the gurney, do you mind if we sprinkle that water? Um, because that's my tradition, my family tradition of, um, and religious tradition of sending a spirit off. And, um, and they said, no, no, not at all. And I helped this man who came alone, literally put my mother in the body bag. And, you know, there was such joy and laughter. I said, okay, mom, you know how you love Ziploc bags. You know, you not great for the environment, but you love them. And here you get to go in this. And I got to wrap her in a shroud. And it, it sounds so morbid from this perspective. It was so devotional. And it was I, the gratitude I felt for her body for having housed her and to finish it up and care for it. And just that love was so ever present there. And the, the person who came, um, who was also Filipino, um, was really excited to do the water ritual. And he had my mother on the gurney and we got to his van. And as he put her into the van, he turned to me and he said, I don't ask this of people much, hardly ever, but I feel very moved to ask you is there some music you'd like me to play for your mother on the way to the the chapel and the funeral home? And I said, do you know Michael Feinstein? 
And Michael Feinstein is a really close friend of our families and was close to my grandmother, my mother, me, my son. And he is this fabulous musician and performer and singer and a dear soul and a course student and had a deep connection to my mother. And the man lit up and he said, oh, my God, I love Michael. I have everything he's ever done. You know, I can't believe that you even asked about him. And I said, well, she was a very he was a very close friend of my mother's. And he's like, oh, you're kidding me. He was a close friend. You know him. And I said, yes. And I'm going to text him that you're doing this. And he was just so exuberantly excited that, you know, there was a connection in this and he was going to get to do this. And it was so funny to have him pull away with her and me knowing, you know, there she is going with Michael singing to her, which she just adored. And, um, And then the floods came. And I do mean that afternoon, the skies parted. We've been in a drought in California, really serious, serious fires. Um, Fire season was horrible. And the skies opened up in that afternoon. And we had a downpour, the likes we had never seen. I live on a mountain and um, never thought of getting flood insurance because I live on a mountain, earthquake, yes, fire, yes, you know, all sorts of other things, but there was a flood and I couldn't even get home. It was so big. And I felt like my mother's afterlife, after death water was was coming through. It felt like the end of this service. And certainly I know in many of, um, like the Hindu traditions and even, I don't know about Tibetan um, Buddhists, but um, when it rains, uh, it's an auspicious sign for an occasion. So I've always been fine. It rained at my wedding. It rained. It's rained at all sorts of times where other people would prefer it not to. Um, I was with most of California, very welcoming of this rain, but it came in a massive flood. And my entire downstairs was flooded and walls had to be removed and floors, but I couldn't even get home. And I was just laughing throughout it. And my, I stayed at my mother's home that night and I felt it was her way of having me still stay there. And it was really, it actually ended up being beautiful that I was there. And then all sorts of chaos happened, but the only thing that I will mention for the this completion in this story is that my mother never wanted to be cremated in this level of illusion she cared and you know she ended up she grew up in a household where my grandfather rescued a lot of um survivors from concentration camps and uh And my mother grew up in a household of people who would wake her in the middle of the night screaming and crying because they saw their relatives um, and loved ones burned in ovens. And um, it was very indelible in her consciousness. Also in the Jewish tradition, you're not supposed to be cremated. So she never wanted to be cremated and she didn't like the idea of it. And she had planned on being buried in my grandparents' funeral plot with her grandmother who who she adored. And then that was, a, that was always her plans. Even with her first two husbands, she was going to her family plot and she met Wit, and 
she was with wit and she decided she wanted to be with wit and buried with wit and wit was being buried or planning on being buried at West Point because wit was a colonel in the military and she was going to have the honorary, you know, whole 21 gun salute formal uh, funeral. And my mother was kind of excited about this, especially and particularly because when she was growing up as well with a lot of anti-Semitism, when my grandfather couldn't get a reservation as um, Samuel Rothstein, he changed his name and he created an alternate persona, which was Colonel Redstone from West Point. And Rothstein means Redstone. So he, he would go in and he'd call and he'd say, I, I have a reservation, you know, I want a reservation with Colonel Redstone. And he'd always get a better table and it became a family joke. So my mother felt like, oh, my, you know, her father would be so proud that she would be buried at West Point um, with the Colonel. And this was the plan. But a year before Wit passed, West Point wrote to him that they were full up and that they could no longer accommodate um, his and his wife's body there unless they were cremated. So they had big discussions about this. And finally, they both agreed that they would be cremated. My mother was not happy about it, Um, but she wanted to be with Wit and she wanted their ashes intermingled and everything else. So this was agreed to, but she really wasn't happy. And she and I would have these very funny conversations about it where I would, she, you know, she didn't like being cold. And I said, mom, this is great. You're being warmed up after you're gone. You know, you get cold and then you get a blast of heat. And she, she would still say, nope, don't like it. I want the padded casket, you know. And, and finally, as I say, she came around to, okay, I'm not a body. I'm not going to care. I'm going for it. Certainly at her last moments, that was, there was nothing about that that was in that picture. But I did... Um, there were some things that she wanted, which was to wait. Um, she actually wanted me to wait eight days, but they could only do it in six days, um, the funeral home. But anyway, she wanted me to wait for some time and it went good, you know, according to the Jewish tradition too, of sitting Shiva. And on the day of her, um, cremation that morning all of my heat went out in my house I have four different furnace like wall furnaces and I have central heating but I don't use the central heating because I don't usually need the whole house heated if I'm just in one room for the day so in four different rooms I have the equivalent of just like an air conditioner but it's a heating unit and every one of them went out. Now one was, had been broken for a long time. So the fourth one doesn't really count. Eight months earlier, it had been broken and a man came to fix it and he took out the parts of it and he never showed up again. And I was sure he had died from COVID and I called him for six months and never heard back from him. So one was just broken, but three others broke. And I had just gotten back to the house and there was the flood downstairs. And now I had no heat. And it, as I 
as I knew my mother was going in to be cremated, I was laughing going, I can't believe you just, you're going to be cremated and you're, you know, taking it out on my house. (laughs) That was my story about it. And when a, a week later I went to pick up her ashes Um, my house still hadn't been fixed. And I put her in, I put her, her box of ashes in the seat next to me in the passenger seat. And I said to her, mom, I'm not taking you to wit. You are coming to my house until my heat gets fixed because wit's urn was at my mother's house. And I said, and that's all there is to it. You fix my heat. And within seconds, not even a minute, my phone rang and it was the guy from eight months earlier. He's alive. And hmm? He's alive. He was alive. He totally apologized. He said he did indeed get COVID and he was sick, but that that was a long time ago and that he just completely, he was just so humble. He said, I don't have an excuse for it. I'm really sorry. Um, but I'm calling you now. And I just started to laugh so hard. And I told him what was going on. And he said, I'm, I'm an hour and a half away. I'm going to cancel my afternoon people. And I'm coming straight to your house to at least fix one heater so that you could be warm your central. I'll fix your central heating. And sure enough, he did except then skunks moved in and the house got skunked through the vent system and one died and the whole other story. But, but it was an extraordinary thing to watch the process. And even the flood in the downstairs of my house that turned into ripping up floors and ripping out walls and mold and all sorts of stuff. There was purpose to it. I, she, I, I knew she wanted that area fixed in my house, you know, and it, and it needed to be, there was black mold in there, which was obviously not good um, and cleaned up. So um, it's been quite a journey. There's so much more to say, but I would mostly say that I have not yet mourned for my mother because she's still everywhere. I can't not see her. And I feel that love so strong. And there was in my life, I had a cat who was 20 years old when she died. And she was in my bed for 20 years. She she was in my bed when I got pregnant. She was in my bed when I was divorced. She we shared a bed together for 20 years and then she died. And I was so devastated. I really missed her. And I was sitting on my bed and I had brushed her right before she died. And I had a ball of her fur that was still in the garbage. And I was in my bed missing her. And I could feel her energetically purring next to me, like she wasn't gone. And I remember being so into my mourning of her that I said aloud, I said, listen, I know that you're here, but I need to cry over this. And I went to the garbage and I held up this big wad of fur. It's like, I miss that. Let me do it. And, and I haven't felt that with my mom. I felt like she was so complete. Her body was in pain. It was time for that to be released. And 
Yes, she could have stayed and done more podcasts and more work, which she loved doing, but her body said time now. And she was able to partner with it and go, no, no, no. I want to go when my son, my grandson came in. And it was so extraordinary that I'm still in that afterglow rather than the disappearance of her. And there's so much to be done too, um, you know, with her own estate and all sorts of, you know, the foundation work and so much and memorial services and which we still plan on having for, you know, for the course world. Um, But there hasn't been that moment. I thought, oh, I'll miss her Thanksgiving. And I ended up for Thanksgiving having a dinner for my son and my ex-husband and his wife and my partner, which was so apropos at my mother's house. Um, And I thought, oh, I'll cry then. No crying. She was there. It just, the love was there. And I thought it would be like, you know, the day the music died, but it didn't die. It just, she always said, you'll see when I go, it will be different than you expect. You'll be released uh, in, in terms of service. And she was right. I was released because I've spent the past six years caring for my stepmother who died, my father who died, my stepfather who died. But this passage with my mother was deep partnership where it was like more than my awareness when I had a baby of every moment. Is she okay? Is, are we doing this right? Is, you know, and the release of having done a job perfectly, both of us perfectly it's so rare that one says that one's life but she said to me also I'm gonna be here more than you can imagine and I couldn't imagine that really and I would joke with her and I'd say oh you're gonna be Obi-Wan Kenobi and you're gonna come back and she said I don't know what it's gonna look like but you're gonna see and the day after she died if you want to call it that, um, I woke up and before I opened my eyes, my ego said, mom, are you still dead? Like, is this, you know, is this what happened? And I heard her laughter in my being and it was cascades of laughter. And she said, no, I, she didn't say no. She said, I am now Obi mom Kenobi. And the Kenobi was like, I can be this now. Like I can be, she made a little play in my mind on it. And there was so much laughter. And so I woke up laughing and I said, okay, Obi mom, you know, but we got to do this now. We got to do that now. And um, it was extraordinary. I felt her in some other sense. I didn't feel like mom's my mother's personality was here guiding me now do this and do that but I but she was existing in her love state and everything that I see loving so that's that's a good part of it it's not all of it but that's really what that time was what the passage was from me, her daughter, a partner in this passing's perspective. She might have given you a very different story. 
<laughs> as double vision, you know, but I think we came together in this one. I think this was pretty mutual vision on how we chose because it was such coursework. It was partnering and it was partnering in the most extraordinary way. And I don't know when that will fade. If ever. Wow. For me now I am to continue doing the service. I am free from taking care of her body. And it's like, wow, I can travel if I want separate from, you know, everything else going on in the world for the first time in all this time. I am set free as she was with her grandmother, but I'm not, don't feel guilty about it. I feel joyous. I know she would feel joyous. Um, And there's a lot of work I have to do for the foundation, but she's laid, she's laid the foundation for the foundation for inner peace. It's not gone. It's continuing to do her work, which as she always said, it wasn't her work. She was in service to that work. And I am equally in service to that. It's not my choice except how I want to serve it or choose to, you know, it's, I listen every day. Is this what I'm to be doing and how, how shall I do it? And that's all she ever did. And she certainly, if not trained me to do that, always supported my own inner listening. So when I go to inner listening, I see her. Wow. That's, that's a lot of context you gave and a lot of detail that I know I appreciate and the listeners will as well, particularly, you know, the, about the body, like, Hey, this is the body going. It's, uh, it's, it's kicking me out. You're hearing me, you know, experience pain, but I feel peace in my mind. Like those, those are helpful things to hear because it's quite a, you know, juxtaposition of those two things going on. So very helpful, Tam. And uh, if just, she was clear, she did not choose or want to be here if she was going to suffer over her pain level tolerance of nine and 10 on a scale of one to 10. Yeah. There's yeah. done. <laughs> Incredible. Well, yeah. I know you also you have a memorial uh, page I'll link to in the show notes. So people who uh, haven't seen the memorial page on the foundation for inner peace website. And if you feel guided to leave a, a comment uh, about Judy, those are always welcome too. Um, but yeah, I think please, a lot of people have left comments and notes on that page. Haven't they? They have. And I really want to say thank you for that because my mother did not want to have a memorial service. She felt she never liked it being about her. And she felt her work was her service and she didn't want to be a, as funny as it was, she didn't want to be a public figure. She, so she (laughs) created her own memorial site. She worked on it for six months before she died. I have to find, I mean, there's some video that hasn't gotten on there. So there's, there's things on that memorial site that I literally just haven't had two seconds to get to, um, to put on there, which I will. Um, And so it's going to be a, a growing memorial site, but she much preferred the idea of um, people leaving comments and coming quietly than a big service for her. Um, We used to argue about this and she would say, well, who would even come? And 
that's when I would say, you know, mom, you're out of your mind. And she, um, but she, it, she really did ask that because she didn't have self-love. She couldn't imagine that. And so, you know, how she passed is what allows me to have a true memorial service for her because, and that she finally found that self-love. She really did get it. As far as my judgment of it goes, um, she became that what she was working on her whole life and acting as if and practicing and practicing and practicing the course. She became that which she wanted to be so badly um, and hoped to be. And um, so in that, I feel like she would be just fine with there being a true memorial service for her. We had a we had a, a an intimate family one from my family back east who 99% are not course students and very different than the course world doing that. So I, I am trying to gather that and figure out what the date of that will be. Um, I just need truly a moment to breathe. Sure, um, sure, absolutely. Although I have also, as they say, within all of this, been breathing. You know, she has also given me the lesson of that she had a 24-7 work ethic. I do not. And the integration of space and breath to care for even my body in this illusion to bring it with me in a different way instead of to override it. And it doesn't mean a belief in it. It means here we are and how do I care as kindly for for this vessel as I would care for everyone else. So there are shifts in um, in flavor and management. I have to beg our foundation staff to take vacations because my mother set a very different pace. You know, and I literally beg them. So we're, we're all shifting and we're all embracing this breath. Um, so in that, there will be the right time for this memorial service. I know it will show itself. Pam, thanks so much for all the information and detail you gave about Judy's passing and all, everything around that. That was quite a lot that was packed into those last four days or so. Um, yeah. I'm going to yeah. encourage everybody to visit the memorial site that's going to be in the show notes. And um, we're going to hear a lot more from Tam in the future because she's my new co-host now. So this is not the last of Tam. You're going to be hearing more. And particularly in 2022, we're going to uh, step up our efforts more, but you might hear uh, one or two more uh, encore shows, um, but sprinkled in with one new show towards the end of the year. And then we're going to be recording more um, more shows together. So I look forward to that. I do too so much, Matt. And I really look forward to not being the one who has to talk the whole time. <laughs> <laughs> Although this was, this was um, really delightful and it was nice to be able to um to have it in one package like yeah. this so feel free to edit but <laughs> okay okay <laughs> well all right tim well thank you again good luck with everything you have going on in your busy life and look forward to co-hosting with you on future shows me too so much so matt okay Thanks so much for listening today. Please subscribe to Miracle Voices by hitting the subscribe button on your podcast app. 
If you are enjoying these conversations, please consider leaving us a review on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or whatever podcast app you use. And lastly, please visit us at miraclevoices.org and join our newsletter so we can stay connected. Until the next podcast, I want to leave you with my favorite course quote, when you want only love, you will see nothing else. Thank you.